Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. I'm excited to announce our upcoming schedule of Planet Microcap Showcases, our investor conferences showcasing our microcap community. We will be hosting the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on December 6th through 8th, 2022, and we'll be back in Las Vegas for our in-person event on April 25th through 27th, 2023. Attendance for both events are complimentary for investors and expect to interact with microcap management teams, watch and hear insightful keynotes and panels, plus network with your fellow microcap crew. Registration is now open for our virtual event. So to join us, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. For this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I spoke with Maj Don from geoinvesting.com and Kim Abril portfolio manager at Draco Global. I haven't had Maj on the pod for a little bit, and it's been a long summer with a potentially longer winter ahead of us, and I wanted his thoughts on navigating our current microcap environment. Maj also recommended having Kim Abril on the show to give his take as well and talk about his investing course geared towards native Spanish speakers. We discuss in depth that right now at this point in 2022, when looking at microcaps, and any potential investment, Maj and Kim are focusing on KPIs, key performance indicators that the company can show that indicates their business success, growth, or lack thereof. It's easy right now to get wrapped up in so many different data points at both the macro and individual company scale. So being able to lock in on information that one can clearly see the overall performance of a business. Kim and Maj give a number of real-time examples to demonstrate what they mean by this. We also talk about overall pessimism in microcaps, thoughts on why, and as demonstrated with honing in on KPIs, what we can do about it. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 242 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Maj Don and Kim Abril. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today are two guests, one of which, uh, you know, I kind of know him a little bit over the years, like whatever, but uh, also someone new to the podcast who I'm very excited to introduce. I'm, I'm excited to, to have Maj on here too, of course. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, we got Maj Swaydan from geoinvesting.com as well as Kim Abril from Draco Global. Dudes, what goes on? How you guys doing? Robert, thanks, man. Thanks for it's been a while since we talked, so this is good. Yeah, we, we, we seem to say that all the time every time we do this. It's been a while since we talk. <laughs> That's why we start every podcast. Yeah, literally each time. And by the way, I got to give you, I'm going to apologize and also make it up to you, is that one of the recent uh, pods that we had on the due diligence series, Richardson Electronics, I found out about that name from you, so I appreciate everything that you do and uh, and everyone at the team at Geo Investing. So uh, you know, I'm giving you I'm giving you kudos now for that. For I'd that appreciate if you do that. You would wait till it went up first, then do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to get now, now, I'm, now I'm on the record. <laughs> so, Next, time. But, but, but although the stock, I think the stock, I think right now is about seventeen bucks or whatever. Or, I'm sorry, fifteen sixty. I hit eighteen. Just like we we've been we've been talking about geos about the twelve bucks I think eleven yeah. or eleven twelve dollars so so we I just, we we, have, we got a little nice chunk of profit in right now so I just got Ed's book did you get Ed's book yet are you on the no, no, are I, you on I the saw, early mailing list I, I, I saw that yeah so <laughs> should be an interesting read yeah yeah like, I, just, I just got it a lot, a lot of history there for him yeah that's one hundred percent and Kim dude th- thanks for joining us I, listen I'm sorry you're getting. You know, you're, there's a lot of inside uh, uh, jokes here between me and Maj knowing each other over the years. But, hey, man, it's good to have you no, on here. No, no worries. I'm just trying to fill in. So I, I understand you very well, but the <laughs> Maj English is not the best, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, Kim, already your English is way better than Maj's. Let's, let's, let's just be real. <laughs> Especially when Maj is joking. So it's not really easy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's I'm sure. never joking. No, he's not. He's, he's very... But anyways, um, Kim, you know, before we get into, because I, I brought you guys on here today because I, I, you know, look, like we said, it has been a while since we've had, you know, Maj on here and obviously our first time interviewing you, Kim. But, I, you know, I want to kind of get your guys feeling and, and flavor and take on, you know, obviously microcaps have gotten killed this year. Um, wanted to see where you guys were at with that. But before we get into it, so that people know who you are a little bit, Kim, can you give us that quick background on who you are and your fund, Draco Global? Okay. So I'm located in Spain, in, in Barcelona. I was I was working in this business from, uh, from the big tech bubble. So I remember that my first job was at 22. I was uh, doing my master's related to, to business and financial markets. And then uh, I'm going to start to, 
to an asset management here at that time. So it's not the best time to be in the market because uh, people was really crazy here. And but before going to like a professional profile, I used to invest my money in in the companies that right now I'm not investing. Like you can imagine, like high growth companies that that you have big expectations for business growth. So I learned with some experience in in the tech bubble, and then I'm just starting in data set management in 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 2001, 2002, and then I I I was in three or four different asset management here in Barcelona, and in Spain. Sorry, um, the good thing is I, I when I started in asset management, I started in 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 equity. I'm not starting in fixed income or alternative, and then I I'm moving to to equity markets, and when I started my first asset management, there are a, a vacancy in small caps segment. So this is perfect for me because I'm just starting in, in the small cap uh, segment. So my first role in my asset management, my first asset management is to travel to around Spain to visit companies like, maybe you don't know, like companies like Vidrala, Viscofan, and this kind, this kind of companies are the quality small cap companies in Spain, but the universe of companies in Spain that you can invest maybe are 40, 50, or maybe right now are more, maybe at 60, but at that time could be 40. And my work is to travel, to talk with the, the CEOs, the CFOs of these companies to try to understand very well that companies because my universe was really small. And then to try to reach and decide if that companies could be a good investable for the funds. Then I moved to European stocks at the same time for small caps. And then at uh, 2017, uh, I I know some guy from uh, one big investment bank in, in London because for my job in this different asset management, I used to travel to London because to meet uh, CEOs, to meet management. And I used to work with three different asset uh, investment banks. And in one of these, I meet one guy who is really famous right today and who is still in, in the investment bank. And he proposed me to create a hedge fund and to join forces because he thinks that with his macro style and my, my micro style, we could uh, make a better a better job together. And it should, so for me, at that time, this is a good real uh, idea and proposition, but they want to start with a high assets under management because he's a famous person and they want to start from zero, right? So we start to work in the fund and we, we make different roadshows to New York, Frankfurt, uh, London to present the, the fund to Goldman Sachs, to Morgan Stanley, to JP Morgan, to all the, the most famous or typical prime brokers in this kind of series. But at the end, we, we never reach more than 20 million. So we, we decide not to start with the, with the project. And this is the idea for me to, to say, okay, why not? I could do the same, but here in Spain, like more local. And this is because uh, in the 2017, I start my own hedge fund, not a fund. So I'm starting a hedge fund in Malta. Malta is an offshore location here in Europe. It's a typical place that you, you are going to set up a fund. If you are a bigger, so if you start with a high assets under management, you can go to Luxembourg, but you need at least 15, 20 million euros right now. Maybe it's easier for a small managers move to, to Malta and you can start with one or two. The problem is that the problem is that this is an investment fund, so a professional fund, so uh, retail people cannot invest in this kind of funds. And for me, that was a problem uh, with uh, customers here in Spain because they can invest in the hedge fund. So 
uh, in at the end of 2020, I decided to switch the hedge fund for a for a, a mutual fund here in Spain. This is Draco Global, and this is the fund that I'm right now. And the fund is specialized in micro small caps, especially in the US, but also I'm investing in the north of Europe, like Sweden and Norway, Finland, and the UK. And this is my my biography across the time. Nice. All right. Well, hey, man, welcome to our wonderful wide world of microcaps. We're happy to have you. And, uh, you know, we're also a little bit later. I want to talk more about, you know, one of the other reasons that you came on the pod today to talk about the course that you are working on that you want to bring to the U.S. as well. So we're going to come back to that because first, you know, now that we set the stage, I'm going to come to you, Maj. How are you seeing the market, man? I haven't seen you since Vegas. You know, how how's the summer gone for you? What's been what's been kind of your take based on how microcaps have performed, not just so far in 2022, but even just this summer? You know, Bobby, I'm not a market timer so much. And um, so I just basically, and, and as Kim will tell you later, you know, the market usually goes up, although I think he's hedging and we'll get that in a little bit. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, I just I just think, you know. I don't want to de- um, beat a dead horse here, but I think we said that the market we were in in the last 15 years or so was unsustainable and that we're getting, um, we've been waiting for this moment of capitulation where everything just like resets and falls apart. All the, you know, the big caps, the, the, the tech companies that, you know, were just trading an insane valuation multiples on, on their price of sales, even though their earnings weren't that fantastic. A lot of debt on some of these balance sheets. They were using they were using debt to grow. Now rates are going up, so all these stocks are coming down. And what you really need now, you know, is I, I think that a really good stock picking process. And I think the old school, boring kind of growth plus value type situation is where you know, I want to be at right now. And that's what I'm looking for. So I'm just looking for you know typical situations where we have companies that are growing revenue at a reasonable rate. Um, and nothing, and what I'm looking more for on the cash flow side, and, and you know, on the operating leverage to drive earnings. So I'm looking for you know, a little bit of some side of sales growth, a little bit, of, you know, obviously operating cash flow, and then you know, earnings per share growth. I'm looking for, for, the, for the trio if I can, and then just you know, valuing stocks traditionally on their on their cash flows and their earnings. Um, and I think that's in times of uncertainty, that's what you need to be looking at. And I think that's the kind of stocks that are going to do well in this market. And you know you're, you're seeing it here, and so that's basically you know you know Bobby where's where's Mark going to be? Who knows? I mean I have, I have opinions, and it doesn't matter really. I just think that as we keep going through this type of you know adjustment period, that stock picking becomes more and more important. And over time, you know you're going to have these those stocks do no, good no matter what the market condition. Um, and right. I think we're kind of getting to that. You know the first part of that resets everything goes down, right? Everything goes down. It doesn't matter what the company is, and that's what you saw a lot. Of, and and now you have to go through the rubble and start figuring out, okay, what shouldn't have went down, and that that entails a lot of you know really um, you know, deep research and reading the releases, conference call transcripts, SEC filings, interview management, and being on that pulse pretty quickly, and really looking for companies that um, have a good long term plan too. You know, you you can still buy buy companies for the short term, I guess, and look for catalysts and flexion points, but I think you know, I want to be in companies that I, that can withstand some turbulence in the short run and still be survival long term, uh, and I think that's really key right now. For sure, but, hey, you know, sure. things can change in a dime, Bobby. Right? We, we can we go up tomorrow, and I mean, 
before it can come back again. And then it will cycle back again, right? And that will come back in the vote again. Yeah. But, I mean, um, I just had never seen a market like we had for the last 15 years. Like, it, was, it was really weird to me to see um, the traditional kind of growth plus value uh, strategies not really working on a broad on a broad sense for the smaller cap companies. Um, and, I, and I think I you're going to see a lot of consolidation. I, think, I mean, you're going to see a lot of companies get acquired, I think. Because what happens in these situations, yeah, you are seeing them right you now. You're Quite seeing a, a bunch of them. USAC, CCOM, go on and on. Um, but what could, what could happen here is like, because there's such a fear in the market now, some of these great companies aren't going to get valued at their appropriate valuation, probably, right? And so you're going to have these really low PEs on some of these great stocks some, uh, and potentially. Um, but if you're willing to value the company on three or four years earnings out, they might look very cheap, and the company just might just just sell the stock, we'll sell the company right now because we're not getting any respect. So it might, it might be worth you, you might see some big premiums though, because some of these companies might sell for a, a much bigger premium and a takeout um, based on you know the, the real value of the company you know three four years out. It's interesting. So, that's that you know on the due diligence series. That's I've been I've been going back and forth on whether or not I want to include a final question, especially as things exist right now. Of like. All right. Well, what's you know? Obviously, you can't allude to whether or not you know you're 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 actively selling the company right now. But are you trying to empire build or are you taking calls? Because most of these microcaps, you definitely if they're if they're worth anything or there is some sort of value there, you know the sharks are feasting. I mean, are you actively looking at new ideas, or you've been adding to your port, adding more? Oh, to yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm always building my pipeline. I mean, I, I want to have a pipeline. I don't want to wait till the market comes back to have that pipeline uh, started. I want to do it now and have a, a list of stocks I like right now. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm not aggressively adding new positions. I have been doing that. I mean, I've been shedding positions I don't like in my portfolio and being nimble in new positions. Um, I'm I'm you know, I usually I like I usually like to take concentrated positions, but right now I'm I'm easing in more easing in than I am anything else because. Yeah, I, I, I take, takes you back to like uh, when we had the, the dot com bust, and I had at that time I must have had three hundred positions or so. I had was I was it was crazy, <laughs> you know. And um, I you know when I would go back interviewing the companies, and you'd have your top maybe twenty or whatever, and literally even the management teams didn't really know what was going on. So you would I would interview them, and a week oh, everything's great, and a week later everything's falling apart, right? And the, the thing, the sentiment can change in a dime like that. So you got to be really careful about being too um, optimistic about some of the things that management teams might be telling you right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why it's important to think about three to five years out, maybe for some of these companies. For sure. Uh, and um, yeah, that's that's. And you'll hear all the time on conference calls. You know, oh, we're doing great. We haven't felt the effects yet. <laughs> so that yet scare is scary. So I'm looking. I'm definitely looking for companies more so that are. Recession resistant, or you know, um, and I, I have a few of those in my portfolio where my bigger positions are right now, where actually recession might might help them actually to some degree. Sure. Um, those are out there, and I guess that's going to be interesting how it all plays out. But I mean, I think Quim has some ideas about where the market's going, and I think he has a strategy he's employing right now. Yeah, based I on hear- pessimism. I know. I want to <laughs> hear it, Quim. Uh, you know, fill us in here. You know, I'd love love to hear hear your take as well. Okay, for my part, so my my macro outlook, so it's not 
really good, at least for the second half of this year and maybe first quarter of next year. So I'm always long to the market. So I have always invested 90%, 85% of my fund in stocks. So I like to have some liquidity to, to buy some ideas. But what I'm doing is, okay, I know that 80% of the time, 85% of the time markets go up. But there are times where markets are not going up. And 90% of that times when markets go down is because there are recession. And in a recession, it makes sense to reduce risk. In my case, what I'm doing is, okay, I'm long my stocks, always the same. But I used to, to, to implement a tail risk strategy to try to minimize the, the possible downturn. Because why? So central banks are reducing or eliminating liquidity. They are increasing rates. Uh, the the economy is in deceleration and the US is in recession. Maybe Europe is going to start in recession at the end of this year and maybe next year. Um, when I see the estimates, the estimates are not reflecting this recession uh, macro environment. So it don't make sense. So they, ca they, have, they should to revise maybe 20, 30% below. So at that time and only at that time, I'm using to buy put spreads or put that they are out of the money. I buy that strategy when VIX is below uh, 2019, uh, not, not when VIX is at 30 because it's really expensive. And this just a complementary strategy to say, okay, if markets go down 50%, I'm expecting to go down 20%, but not 50%. So uh, buy and hold is okay, but there are times that do you, you don't want to buy and hold. And I, I remember the financial crisis when S&P goes down 60% from, from max to minimum. I remember very, very clear the, the big the tech bubble. This is because I'm implementing this strategy. But 90% of my time is researching companies, stock picker. I'm the same than much. I like companies with some kind of uh, not very cyclical or they are not moving across the business cycle. I all I all searching for um, five attributes like I want a scalable business. I want a business that is not dependent for growing to the business cycle. I want some kind of recurring revenue, and I want a business that they play in attractive sector structure. Right? This is my my main philosophy for stocks. And the last one I'm maybe new is I'm all investing in stocks that I can reach a KPI, a not. Raw, raw. So I'm talking about a business KPI. I don't know. Um, for example, if you invest in Medifast, Medifast, I think is a really good uh, investment company. Maybe right now is not the best because uh, you have to pay $500 a month for the Medifast subscription. And maybe if you are in a recession, you are you you are not planning to enroll in a nutrition plan. But Medifast is the typical company that the, in his press release uh, they report. Each quarter, the two KPIs, who is the, the commercial network, who is the number of coaches. Coaches is the people that support customers. And then the second one, who is the, the average revenue per coach or the productivity. So it's really easy for me to try to estimate the future revenues if I know these two KPIs, because I'm not modeling the revenue growth. What I'm modeling is the number of coaches and the productivity. So... If you are looking, for example, right now, one of my best idea, ideas is pay sign. I think maybe both, you know, that time. I'm wrong with the time because I try to invest at the end of uh, 2020 at pay sign because remember that Griffalls, who is one of the biggest players in plasma business, 
uh, Grifols and CSL, but Grifols, the headquarters, was in Barcelona. So I meet many times with the management of Grifols. So I understand, I think, very well the plasma business. And uh, I think right now, PaySign has the best conditions that you can have. So I think that the best investment is, is not in gas, is not in oil. I think right now is in plasma because uh, if you read different news, if you talk with the management of PaySign, um, from the end of last year and from these two quarters, the traffic from uh, people to the centers is it growing uh, more than double digit. The productivity, the revenue per center, is it growing? And right now it's across uh, seven five hundred thousand a month. So, uh, and and remember that. So, uh, US is in recession. So from now to the end of the year, and maybe from the first half of next year, um, US citizens they are start to lose the jobs. Maybe they reduce the salary that they 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 have for for his things. And remember that right now the Grifols, they are paying um, $80, $90 for donation. A U.S. citizen can go two times a week for a donation. So at least right now you can win a range from $500 to $700 a month uh, if you go to a, a plasma collection center. So Grifols is not an investment because Grifols has a high inflation cost because Grifols is who is paying the donor for, for the, the donation. But PaySign is just a, a, a credit card that the donor uses when they go up from the center and go to a bank and they take out this $80. So I think that the tailwinds for PaySign, it's really amazing. You can remember that PaySign goes uh, from $19 to $1.5. Right now is three dollars, and if you only value the plasma business because space and have two other business, but if you only value the plasma business with a normal, so think that patient paysign right now has forty first forty percent of the market share of the market. They have only one competitor. Remember, his competitor was Wireker, but Wireker was bankrupt last year. So a private equity, a U.S. private equity, bought the plasma assets from that that business. And this is a niche business, niche business. So I think total addressable market for this business is 100 million. So big players in 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 payments are not interested to go into plasma business. So uh, you have only one competitor. You are increasing agreements with don uh, donation centers. Right now you have 40% of market share. You can reach 60% maybe in one two years. And the best part is that you are increasing the productivity of your centers after the COVID and after the lockdowns, because in the lockdowns, people cannot go to the street to go to plasma center. So in brief, I think uh, PaySign offer you one of the, in my opinion, one of the best opportunities and you double your money in, in the next six months because it's trading at $3. And I think the plasma business, only the plasma business is a range of five, six dollars uh, per share. So I think it, could be a good opportunity. This is not a recommendation, so it's just my my opinion. <laughs> it's a disclaimer. But these are what I try to do. I like Payson because they can offer me the KPIs that I need to model the business. I, I don't want to model, okay, Payson is, is going to grow uh, revenue this year 40%. No, I want to understand where are the key metrics that drive the revenue growth that in, in Payson is the productivity, average revenue per center and the number of centers, right? Absolutely. It's just an example, um, Robert. 
No, very good. And thanks for that, Clint. So, and, and, and real, oh, Major. I, I think what I like about that approach too, uh, guys, that when you're in this time of uncertainty right now, that gives you some certainty to some degree, right? And I think those kind of stocks could get um, some higher valuation uh, from the market because they may offer some certainty. So that's, and so, you know, uh, for those that know, KPI is key performance indicators. And um, so what, what Kim's doing is going out to looking for companies that, you know, publicly dis display some of these KPIs. And, and I think you, you get, do you also do some of that from some on the ground due diligence, Quim, or are you, you're getting it all from filings and stuff and press releases? And um, so it, let me explain the KPI. So in an easy way, if you compare Facebook and Google, there are main difference. So Facebook, Facebook is disclosing each quarter uh, different KPIs, but the most important are monthly active users, MAU, and the re average revenue per user. But if you look at Google, Google are not disclosing anything. Just they said you, okay, where is my revenue growth in advertising? And where is my revenue growth in other, other segments? So I'm not interested in that because I cannot model this kind of company. So if you take this one and go to micro small pace is where a small cap is where I'm doing. Sometimes you don't have the direct KPIs, no? For example, PaySign offered these KPIs, um, Medifast offered these KPIs, but sometimes other companies like Expel or Champions Oncology, they don't give you these KPIs. But this is why I'm saying indirect KPIs. So you can reach these KPIs doing some investigation, talking with competitors, uh, um, customers, uh, suppliers, um, different people. So you can reach this kind of information for for internet. So sometimes it's easier to find to find this information because the company is disclosing each quarter or in a or in the 10k in an annual frequency. But sometimes it's more difficult. But if you do the job and you are the only one that is doing the job in a small or micro cap company without analyst coverage, I think you have something interesting that the market they don't have or they don't know. Right? This idea, much. Hey, Kim, real quick question, real quick on, on, on the idea of looking at the at KPIs. You know, let's say you have a company that has multiple, you know, let's say they have four or five, you know, that, that do, do you have a number of KPIs that you look at specifically or um, are there, if let's say a company has multiple and you only really care about one or two, you know, how do you discern which KPIs are most important to you? In my opinion, uh, maximum three four so more than three it's not so think that kpis can can help you to understand the company if you try to understand 25 kpis you are not understanding the company right the, the idea is to to simplify the analysis so i think two three is okay so thinking uh for example i love royalty companies right so oil royalty companies gas royalty companies uh gold, silver royalty companies, because I don't like the cyclical part of this business, but I like the royalty business because is it cyclical, but is it less cyclical than oil companies? Is it really easy to model these companies? You only need to estimate a realized estimated spot price for oil, gas or something. You should be conservative and then you should estimate the production, right? Two KPIs. So it's easier. So Medifast, two KPIs, coach, coach and productivity. And Facebook, two KPIs, no? It's like uh, ARPU, our average revenue per user and number of users. So two or three, it's okay.
Very good. And just and, and, oh, real, real uh, quick, uh, hi, Bobby. Real quick, yeah. this is just my compliance, Bob. Part and uh, so Kim, <laughs> Kim, real quick. You know, you mentioned a few names. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, so Metafast and uh, PaySign. Obviously, you are a shareholder. Uh, yes. And then, and then Expel and Champions Oncology. Not a shareholder. I'm shareholder also. Oh, you are a shareholder. Okay, good. All right. Just want, just want to be clear. Mosh, take it away. Yes, yeah, so and I just want to reiterate that, um, Bobby, I uh, if you if you want to get more information on some some of this conversation we're talking about here, I had a uh, uh, interviewed Quint, uh, Kent, uh, uh, Geo. We did about an hour podcast where we talked more about this. So he gives a lot of more case studies there, which is pretty awesome. Oh, hundred uh, percent. I actually checked out some of that. It was really it was really good. Yeah. Really, really doing good. He, he um, has like he has like six six stock pictures and uh, more about his strategy and KPIs, and we talk about his course too. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I just want to add one one little one thing here too is what I'm looking for now too, guys. Is and I'm, I'm I really want to you know I want to add more of the you know KPI analysis into what I do after talking to Kim. Uh, but I'm also looking for a more never now just multi bagger traits that I've more on the, on the quality side that I've and strategy side. And if I maybe if I combine uh, in, in these companies that have worked well in the past, maybe I, if I combine that with some of what Kim is doing, that might actually even make it a little better for me. So hey, Mosh, I'm really what? trying to identify in, in this market right now where you have when you have more competitive markets and uncertainty. I'm really focusing now on um, companies that are really trying to get more wallet share from their current customers, and also finding ways to be more productive, you know, more efficient. I think that combination is going to is going to be really interesting. It's it's an easier it may be an easier way for a company to to go out there and grow their revenue in, in this kind of environment when it's harder to compete out there. You know, go to it might be harder to gain some market share. Um, so I'm really excited. To, to, that's a really big list I'm making right now. These companies that are really getting more wallet share from their own customers, and I'm really keen in on that. So. That's something I thought I wanted to share with you a little bit. It's it's been one of the, you know, I've been doing this for so long. It's been one of those, if I was to pick like, you know, my top five kind of multi-bagger traits, and that would be one of them. It's almost like it's a it's almost like a layup for a company. If you're right. able to it's like you you might have 20 to 30 percent kind of under penetration in your current customer base and then and then go after it. So that's a pretty cool. And you, you kind of see a lot of that kind of discussion in these conference call transcripts where they get a little more granular about the strategy. And that's, that's where I'm kind of digging right now and trying to find out in these transcripts, those, those that are talking about that. Literally, that was just what I was going to ask you, you know, right now, you know, um, almost, I mean, everybody's already, you know, announced their, their, you know, Q2s or, you know, their results from last, this last quarter, you know, from, from both of you, what are some of the, you, you just mentioned one thing, obviously that you're looking for is some of the companies that are now, really focusing on their own internal market penetration. Um, what, are there any other things that you're seeing from some of these recent conference calls and on the transcripts that, you know, from companies that you like that you're hoping to see more of from maybe new ideas or that folks should pay attention to when they're assessing companies maybe that are in their own portfolios? Maj, let's go back to you first and then we'll go to Kim. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really trying to really understand, you know, what companies understand the environment they're in right now? You know, this, this I really want to know which teams really get what's going on now, and have a really keen understanding of their markets. Uh, and um, and I I loved I love those companies that have been around for a long time because I can ask them if they've gone through this. What 
gone through a similar thing in the past, how they've handled recessions. So I'm trying to kind of get an idea on that, right? And but um, other than that, really, man, you know, I'm, it's basically wallet share, understanding your markets that you're in, understanding the risks, and what are you doing to uh, preserve, preserve and increase your margins. Those are really important things to me. Uh, and give me your, and I want to hear like, I want to hear the worst case scenario. <laughs> I want you know, what, what, what could go wrong here? The, 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 the mistake we can make as investors, like when we're having bad times like this, get overly pessimistic. There's, there's, you know, we can read conference call transcripts and say, we, I don't believe any management team. They're all BS. They all lie. They're all overly optimistic, which might be true to some degree, but there, you know, there are some that, aren't necessarily on that on that side of the pendulum and that's what i'm trying to find and um and i think they're out there but to go into this thinking that they're always going to get it right is wrong too hey we, we, they're not all going to be right with what they're doing and they, they could be blindsided uh -huh. but that's that's kind of where i'm kind of focusing on I mean, of course i'm looking as you know the, i just i always compare conference call transcripts with press releases see if there's anything any new tidbits of information in in the uh in the transcripts um and something I did figure, you know, was really um, kind of disheartening a little bit because we read every single earnings press release from I mean, every nano cap company that comes out in micro cap. And they're all they're coming out in a flurry. So then we have a chance to come back and reflect and read the, the transcripts. There is a lot of pessimism. There, there is a lot of pessimism out there for sure. There, I mean, the, the amount of companies that are reporting losses or not growing at all, it is really, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't know yeah. if I've ever seen it this much before. <laughs> and it, it puts in perspective how crazy this market got in the last 15 years. And, you know, there is, I, I'm concerned about a lot of these companies. And when you look at where the market is now in the pullback mode, it's the pullback, yeah, it has. There's a lot of companies that are still just hemorrhaging money, crazy cash burn, you know, a ton of debt, and I don't know how they're going to raise money in this market in, in any kind of favorable terms. So there's still got to be this flushing out, I think, phase of some of these other companies that have, that have to go. And a lot of these are in the the nano cap area. I mean, you know, that we're able to that um, raise money, you know, willy nilly whenever they want it, and it didn't matter if they were losing money. Well, now it matters. <laughs> so. And the market knows it. The market. I was. I was looking at one company, which I'm. By the way, I am. I am short. I'll, I'll Stry. I will disclose it. And I've been short since about. I think maybe three fifty or so. I think it's two twenty right now. But they're losing like, I think thirty million dollars a quarter. It's and, and you know and it just on a I think like a nine million revenue base, uh, or six nine million revenue per quarter. They're they're in a, uh, a telecom. Um, um, business and building out networks, and, and, and it was a, it was a SPAC, and I just this couldn't I couldn't couldn't believe that um, these companies are still out there, and they actually have a shelf they have a shelf out there, and they're sitting there just you know selling stock in the, in the market <laughs> when they want, and you know, this is a, this is a really good example of like information arbitrage on this company, so. And there is a talent when you start interviewing team management teams and you start reading press releases, uh, you have to assess management bullshit radar. Who is bullshitting you, right? And who's not bullshitting you? 
and you, and you do that by at least, of course, I've been doing it for 30 years. So the I, hardest, I, I, it's still the hardest thing of all time. It really it, is. It's it, still, it, it, it doesn't get any easier. So that's one, one good thing about being old. I've, I've gone through, I've talked to a lot of these guys before and see the story. So I know when they're, you know, when they're those that, are, that continually are you know, bullshitting us. But to give you an example, STRY, uh, they put out their, I think it was Q2. And um, it was a huge loss. Like revenues were up a lot. Talking, you know, talking good things, and and they said something like, "Yeah, we're making good headways in our capital raising type of goals, right?" But then, you know, you go read the SEC filings, and they they filed a shelf concurrently with, I think it was with their so, and they didn't talk about well, really well. What we really, what really should have said was, "We found a hundred million dollar shelf that we can sell into the market any time." They didn't word it that way in the press release. The stock went up that day because, and then the next, when people started reading that, they, they um, that the um, the shelf that they all sold it, brokerage firms cut their targets from like ten to five. You know, they they cut them in half, and the day after, by the way, so you know, and it's obviously the conspiracy theory is these brokerage firms are letting their 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 clients get out of it probably before they downgrade it, <laughs> get out here because there's a shelf here buried in, buried in the SEC islands. So that's an example of just really. I, I, I nitpick what these manager teams say. I uh, uh, we're cautiously optimistic. Well, what does that mean? So that's just another tell. Like, okay, well, okay, that's they're setting you up for something bad, right? Um, it's, it's the way they hedge their comments. Um, we're really excited about our company medium term. Okay, well, that tells me that there's going to be some short term issues here. And all this positive, positive, positive stuff. Medium term, we're looking, we got subscribers, you're going to be good for the medium term. Well, that means you're probably going to raise a lot of money in the short term. <laughs> so That's the investments we're making today are going to pay off in the medium term, which means, okay, well, you're going to lose money for the next <laughs> several quarters, probably. <laughs> it's, it's kind of small things, right? Um, that medium you know, term is a new one. I like, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> on and on and all of that stuff. And it really, um, and I still get fooled. I still get fooled. I still like will end up like, Believing a company's not going to raise money, they raise money. Two days later, it just happened recently, and um, it's really a, it's a cat and mouse game. I know what you're and, talking about too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I still am very big on the qualitative. Yeah, so I, I think you can compare the qualitative with the KPI he's talking about with your bullshit reader getting really good over time. <laughs> That's you need to really, that, that, that combination works really well right now, I think. But, Marge, works, is that, but uh, like using that, that example, I, we won't say the name, but you know, cause it, it I, I've been doing a ton of CEO interviews recently and there's been a lot of com It was, it's mostly with pre-revenue companies and a lot of them have been, you know, one of the main things that they've been saying it, and, and this is a, a totally different type of investing, right? So I'm not saying like, this is what you guys do, but even for the companies that are revenue generating that might need to raise capital, in medium term, um, maybe not necessarily in short term, but in the, you know, for the medium term, but let's say they do it a little earlier than normal, kind of thinking ahead a little bit of like, hey, things might continue to get worse. Was that that bad of a decision for them to do? No, there's, there's, there's a different thing between what's good for the company, what's good for the investor, right? right? Of course. And, those and you want to make sure that's aligned, things. obviously, you know. Yeah, so what I'm looking at for now is managing teams that I believe that they're going to have to raise money because they just come down so much, but they still want to make some, they want to go through an acquisition strategy. Because remember, there's a probably a great opportunity to acquire companies in this market too, where they're going to raise money, maybe hopefully above current, above current prices, for example. 
Right. And show me that you that the, the the person you're buying right has confidence that your your stock is worth more than it is today. Um, I don't I don't mind people that come in to raise money as long as it's used for great things, right? It, right. It's, it's it, it, creative acquisitions, paying down some debt, maybe a little bit. Um, but you just got it's 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 the one thing. That's what they're here for. You know, ninety percent of the companies out there are are to raise money, take money from you. <laughs> you know, and your goal is to find out which ones don't want to do that to, 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 to that in, in a way that's going to damage your investment. It's just right. a, it's a back of work thing, right. especially in your smaller companies. Right. All right, let Kim, let's bring you back in here, man. Sorry about that. So, you know, I, my original question was about you know things that you're looking for on the conference calls, uh, recent conference calls, transcripts. You know, going into you know in the environment we're in today. And it, as you said, you see the macro environment also getting worse. So what are some of the things that you're looking for, either from your own portfolio companies or potential new ideas? Mm, so maybe the best way to explain that is with an example, right, uh, Robert? So Mark, uh, much before talks about market penetration. So where is the opportunity? For me, this is the main questions that I'm doing when I'm researching a company. So I think Medifast is a good example here. So and. First, I'm starting with, okay, reading the transcripts, reading the, the press release, but looking at the history. If you look at the history, you can see that in 2015, 2016, there are something that changed the Medifast story. And the something that changes a new CEO is Daniel uh, Daniel Craig. So first, you are, when you are analyzing- uh, Bond? Mif no, I'm just kidding, sorry. What? Say, sorry? James Bond? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so when you are researching a micro small cap, so you have to talk with the management. Management is really important. And at that time, uh, this new CEO changed the company and put the customer as a mode, as a competitive advantage of the company. But where is this? Where is the opportunity? So Medifaz is a 1.5 billion company, right? And market cap is one 100, uh, sorry, 1,300 uh, million dollars. But if you look all the U.S., so um, I think U.S. is uh, 300 million uh, people right now. I think 68, 70%, I think 60, 70% of the people could be some kind of obesity in the U.S., right? So then if you split that number and take that 50% of that number of people could be interesting in a nutrition plan to try to reduce the wage. So you have at least... 130 million people as a total addressable market opportunity. But the most important is right now, Medifast has less than 1 million customers. So Medifast is the best company because he's a multi-level company like Herbalife and something. But the difference is the business model because Medifast are not, so the coaches are not managing the money from the customers. They are not managing the inventory of the customers. If you look at Medifast, Skincare and this kind of companies, they are managing this kind of company. This is because it's not a clear a clear business. But in the case of Medifast, I think all of these things are managed in the headquarters. But the most important is that market share today from Medifast is less than 1%. Medifast is growing really high in terms of coaches. Coaches, the people that support the customers. And think that, think that you want to lose weight. You can buy different nutrition plans. So the, the, the product of Medifast is a commodity product. It's not different than Herbalife. So if, you, if you buy the bars or the nutrition plan of Medifast, it's not much different than the others. The difference is the business model because 
Medifast has coaches that helps to you in this process of losing pet, losing losing weight. So I think the most different, the most difficult thing to lose weight is to have something close to you to help you and to lose weight. It's not just to buy some product or to enroll in a in a subscription plan. It's do that, but to have something to talk. And the 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 main competitive advantage is the customers of Medifast, they transform to coaches. So the sellers, the commercial, the net commercial network of Medifast before B commercials, they are customers. This is really amazing. So if you take that Medifast can continue to execute as the same way that they are executing from the new CEO change in 2015-2016, so they can take market share. And if they have less than 1 million and the total addressable market for only US, because this business is scalable to other countries, but only in the US, the total addressable market is 130 million. This is an amazing opportunity. So I think that Medifaz in 10 years, maybe they can have a revenue of more than uh, 10,000 million, right? So this is a scalable business. The, the business is cyclical because if you are in a recession maybe you are not enrolling in a in a nutrition plan okay here i, I don't like it that but i i can assume it's, it's easy to model the numbers because you have kpis coaches and productivity you can if you multiply you reach the quarterly revenue you have a skin in the game because business and the management has some kind of insider ownership so you have this kind of attributes that if joined together makes a good investment, right? This is my idea. And then I'm follow with uh, press releases, with transcripts. I'm follow for this information. Also, I'm used to talk with a company. But for me, the to, to try to quantify the opportunity, I think it's the best that you can do because you, you are seeing that the future is really good, right? There are companies that they don't have opportunity or they are not in the good strategy to try to capture the opportunity. And I think maybe, I think this example uh, is good to explain uh, where I'm looking, right? Absolutely. And actually that kind of hits on what Maj is also looking at too, is just seeing that the companies are hitting, are just really focused on on market penetration for what, what they're really looking for. Would, would I, would that, if I had to summarize what you just said, would that kind of be more or less what you're really looking for right now? You, you, you have a you have other example that Maj knows maybe more than me, who is reprovent systems. The problem is that the execution is not really good. I think with Linda, Mash, I, I don't know why opinion, but with Linda, it's better. But it's better. in, in Repromet systems, you, you can quantify the opportunity because it's really easy. So you know that who is CIPI, who is uh, uh, this kind of immunodeficiency. I, I don't know in English the, the name, but this kind of, um, help me much with the name in English. So this kind of rare disease that you right. need inject plasma so and these are a really good example to try to quantify the opportunity yeah and, and, and well krmd is a great it used to be repr they have that's very quant it's, it's a pretty easy one to model yeah there's a, a bunch of kpis there that you can use to you know help you get there but but again that was execution they got they got lucky because well, in the beginning of their um ascent because the change in the health of the, um, the medicare billing which basically was allowed them to start 
you know, billing for their billing for what they did. They make home infusion therapy system. So, um, uh, but eventually, and, and they had they had a big they had the biggest market share in it for their indication for what they were doing. Uh, but eventually, execution mattered. You know, what was interesting there on that came out. I wonder, like the, the the original management team was growing, and the kind of things went sour when the, when he was kind of pushed out of the company, <laughs> and the new team came in. I'm wondering how he would have the, the original founder would have done uh, in the business. Um, he was he was a little more measured, I think, in his growth expectations. He didn't want to he wanted to grow consistently, but not take leaps and bounds. I think. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm curious to see that was a situation where you had the activists come in who wanted um, uh, to grow the company faster. Um, but yeah, that's um that's a good that's a good one. Um, yeah, I like I like Linda right now. I like her. She's definitely. I think she's better than the the prior. There was there was the original CEO Andrew Cephalon. Then there was the, the middle CEO. I forgot his, I forgot his name. Who came in at, at I think in two thousand right before COVID I think, uh, and then you had Linda come in after uh, after that didn't work out. And I, Linda comes from Becca Dickinson. She, I mean, she understands the market. She came back to the roots of the company. And, you know, what she actually did was, it's a great example of what we were talking about earlier. She said, wait a second, we have this low-hanging fruit within our own market, which we haven't even exhausted yet. Uh, you know, we have, um, you know, um, indications indications that we can basically infuse for that we're not infusing for yet, that we, that we could do. So there was all this low-hanging fruit with their current kind of market that they weren't even addressing yet, with the current market, to get more wallet share right from it. Um, so, and as opposed to expanding the market, which she also wants to do, but she understood that there's low hanging fruit first here to go after. But I, I don't know what's going to happen with the equipment. They're, they're still and they're, they're investing heavily in the business. Um, there's going to be competitive pressures at some point, and that there are right now. Um, they're losing. They're still losing. They're losing some money because um, of the investments they're making for the medium term. <laughs> and uh, but I, I'm wondering if they sell the company at some point here soon. I'm wondering if that's the best because I don't think they're. If you look at their growth, that they were growing 20, 30 percent a year for several years. Now that growth rate's under 20 percent, and, and they're still selling at a pretty elevated price to sales ratio. They're losing money, so I'm wondering if this this, this market isn't going to like the story that much. Remember, my, remember that. Do you remember when we talk about the the international strategy of reverent systems? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really, that's really, Robert, this is really good to talk. So my first approximation to that company is talking with the management, also with Maj, and said, okay, we have a good model here in, in the US. Um, people is transitioning from intravenous to subcutaneous. So or device, medical, me mechanical device or device here in the US with low income and, and you don't have a... Uh, um, uh, you have is to pay it, for for the the healthy. Kim, which, which company is it? Is this still Reprimed or new? Yes, or, yeah, it's the okay. same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other part of the strategy is to grow internationally, but when you are doing the Peter Lynch style and you are going to talk with doctors, you are going to your uh, your most proximal hospital here in the city. I'm said okay. Let me check with any doctor here in Spain that is doing this kind of um, business, right? So to to inject the, the products of CSL or Grifols to, to treat the CIDP and CID uh, immunos disease, right? So when I talked with a doctor, they said, okay, in the US, 
the mechanical device because it's really cheap and people and people don't have access to to the health right they have to pay for that is it good but here in europe when you have access with all the health because the government is paying for you the health we are not using mechanical devices we are using electronic devices we're expensive so when i when i asked that uh, doctor they said i never buy this product for my hospital because it's worse than electronic so i think the strategy is good in the us but so but it's not good in europe right so sometimes you have to differentiate that one strategy is good in in your country but it's not good in another country and i think mash at the end Rivermet Systems is going to focus only in the US. That's my opinion. And it was it was interesting too is after we had that conversation the next quarter that came out they talked about having issues in their international growth strategy. And, and what was funny what was what was funny too Kim is that the, the original the, the founder, right? He had told me I cuz I met him in I think at one of your conferences. Uh, he wasn't there Robert but he was at a conference that way. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, cheated, I cheated on you, Robert. I, I left for a second <laughs> to go to go talk to him at a medical conference. And uh, he was said, like, he was like, man, I'm having international markets, not as easy as I thought it would be. He understood that, you know, and, and I think he was very, um, he was he was entering it very cautiously. So, but yeah, it was pretty interesting. After, I was like, ah, what's Kim talking about? This isn't going to be a, an issue. <laughs> and the whole, everything blew up in one quarter. <laughs> That's so, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, and real quick, are we still both the shareholder in Reppermet? I I still have some. I mean, I I I had a. It's a much. It's a really small position of mine because I mean, I bought it originally at like a ten eleven cents. Sold a lot of it in the twelve thirteen dollar area. Nice. And then I held I held some just for the takeout. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> for the All right. I was emotional. That's why I kept it. So, I, thought it be, I thought it was going to be over 30 in 2020 for no reason at all. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, want, I want to basically, before we go here, uh, Robert. Oh, real quick, okay. Kim, Kim, are you a shareholder in Repromed? Uh Not now. So I, I decided to sell the shares when I talked with the doctor. But I have to say that I remember that Mash and me interview Linda Thorby. And I like Linda, so I like how we talk. So if the, the business is improving the future, I can do again as a holder, right? Yeah, yeah. Imagine. Uh, but I will disclose. I, I own. I own. I own some a little bit of pays because of Kim too. By the way, so I'll disclose yeah. that. So I, but I, I got. I got to bounce soon, guys. So let's talk about this clash really quick. So yes. Kim's got, so I. I um, so I met Kim years ago, and we just it was all about investing. He's a geo-investing member, but then um, along the way, I guess he started the course in in Spain in, Spain, in Spanish. Uh, um, an investing course, and it, it basically everything you talked about today, KPIs, how to model companies, what to look for. It's a very extensive course, um, and he wants to bring that now to the U.S. and maybe this to Spanish-speaking investors in the U.S. Uh, so that's I'm help, I'm trying to help Kim do that. You know, help help maybe work together with Geo. Maybe we'll eventually I'll, we'll, we'll put a course together with him. Uh, combine it with what he's doing, plus my experience of finding multi-baggers and have like more of a, a very intense, you know, qualitative and quantitative course. But um, so, Kim, why don't you tell more? Try and give us, you know, a really brief input about your course. And by the way, I'm, on my podcast, I got a lot of information on this, so we can come back and talk. Um, if you want, if you're interested in this, you can come back and hit me up at Geo, everybody, and we'll, we'll get you on on board on that. So, go ahead, Kim. So um, 
the, the story starts three years ago when I decided to create my YouTube channel. So um, I tried to to look at the YouTube with the Spanish Spanish channels. And, and I said, okay, there are a lot of YouTubers talking about how to value stock, but any one of them are a professional investor. And the ones that are professional are not talking in a really advanced mode. And I said, why not there are an opportunity to create a YouTube channel with a more advanced level for people that they have some some kind of minimal level, but they can they want to increase his level of an, a fundamental analysis and to increase the, the the success in his investments. It is how it starts. And then maybe two years later, the own subscribers of my YouTube channel, who is niche because it's only 3,500 subscribers, they said, okay, there are two, two main equity courses in Spain online, but they are so introduction courses. Why not to create an advanced course? And this is how I start to think in the, in, in the course. And right now we are in the third edition, third edition. So the third edition is going to start in the 17th of October next month. So uh, this is the third edition. We have very good acceptance for the first two editions. If, you, if any anyone to look about that, they can go to the web page. Is it in Spanish? Okay, but they can read the people that going to the school. The I don't know the word in English like mm, uh, review. You can see, yeah, testimony, yeah, but re reviews, no? So I I encourage you to, to look for the reviews, but all the people is really happy. So if you want to learn in an advanced level how to model a company, um, I think this course could be for you. The, the structure of the course is two blocks. One is, one is quantitative and the second one is qualitative. In the first one, I explained three different models. Uh, I explained the, the simple model or... Uh, introduction model with a sim simplified um, financial statement with just one line of revenue, cost of revenue, gross margins, one line for total operating expenses for OPEX, and then goes down to net income and, and, and earnings per share. Then a second model, who is a tier two model or intermediate model. This is the model that I'm using more for my, my, my job when, I'm when I try to evaluate and analyze companies. Because if you are investing in a company with a low capex, with low capital intensity, with low cash conversion date, with not much to working capital to finance, and with a low with a low debt or negative debt, you don't need to calculate a discount cash flow cash flow model. It's not necessary because it's not easy to do that. So a tier two model is the same than a simple model, but you are. Uh, you are segmenting or you are separating the revenue line and the cost line. Remember our examples in Medifaz, uh, Facebook, uh, PaySign, uh, Expel, this kind of company. So what are the key metrics that drive your revenue line? So you separate the revenue line in different KPIs and then you do the same for the cost lines. I don't know, for example, if you are a volume FedEx, you can look that that FedEx is giving you a fuel cost inside of total operating cost. And then inside of fuel cost, they are giving you the number of kilometers that the 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 lords going for the freeways and the and the and the and the price of the of the petrol. So you can model that right. Um, then you can apply a multiple right? when you have the PL you can use multiplies like P, uh, EBITDA, sales multiple, and then. 
And then when you have a company that is highly leveraged, is really high capital intensity, so CapEx across total revenue, it's more than 5 6%, or the cash conversion cycle, for example, like Grifols, who is more than 200 days, or you have a big working capital to finance, in my opinion, you have to calculate to compute a discount cash flow. But the problem is that if you want to compute a discount cash flow, you have to estimate a balance sheet and you have to estimate for the future a free, uh, cash flow statement. That's not easy. And we expanded, we expanded in the course four hours, learning the students how to model in an Excel this kind of financial statements. Then when you have the three different financial statements, the uh, financial statement, so uh, the PL, the balance sheet, and the statement of cash flows, then you can decide if you apply a multiple to the EPS or you are implementing a discount cash flow model with two steps. I like to model two different works. One, the, the first one is for the five years that I'm projecting. And here maybe I'm using a low uh, um, 10 years uh, bond rate or, or the equity market premium. But for the terminal value, I can do something uh, more aggressive and I can maybe put my macro view in the market. I can increase the bond rate. I can increase the risk premium. I can reduce the revenue growth and the cash flow growth. So this is the kind of do that we do in the first part. Then we are talking about SEC filings. So SEC filings are really important. Much know that because you can find information in the SEC filings. You can reach more than 100 sex, different SEC filings and sometimes um, it's not easy to understand and read the SEC filings. So in the course, we're explaining more than 100 SEC filings. Then we learn how to use the, cons the consensus analyst to put in your model, how to use the guidance of the company to put in your model, how to play different scenarios for your model, like the bull, the wars, uh, the base scenario. And then we move to the qualitative part of the course who we are analyzing a competitive environment, modes, competitive advantage, this kind of things. Then we share about how to, to reach for multibuggers, who is much talking before. And then we move to how to learn accounting and, and business for especially to read uh, 10Key. So sometimes people don't understand a 10Key. So when you are going to the notes, the notes that explain the financial statements, people maybe they understand something. I give you an example. Teladoc, Teladoc, the price of Teladoc is going is down 90% or 95% from the maximums. And there are one reason. So well, there are two reasons. The first one is because uh, high growth stocks are really penalized and they go down. But the second one is in 2018, Teladoc buys both Libongo, who is the mental care business, and they pay. Uh, they pay with shares, but they pay 14 billion for that company. So when you analyze the fair value of the transaction, the price paid for that company was 14 billion. But try to guess, when you look at the, not today, but if you read the 10 key at the end of 2021, and you go to the balance sheet statement, where you can see is that the total assets number 97% of the total assets was in goodwill. That's a red flag because it's telling you that Teladoc is paying too much for the future synergies of Ligongo. If you read at that time the, the 
the financial statement, the 10 key, the note related to the goodwill, you can search that Teladot is advising you that maybe in the future is have to do is is sorry is obligated to do an impairment because the conditions the multiples paid for this business the revenue growth of this business the discount rate used in this business are not working really well so they have to reduce the multiple they have to increase the discount rate they have to reduce the revenue revenue rate so if you read in this uh, long text and really difficult to understand, uh, you can um, maybe prevent a 90% downtown because you can read in advance. Remember that at the end of first quarter of this year, Teladoc announced uh, 7,000 impairment. So this is more than half of the 14 billion of the price paid. But at the second quarter, they add 3,000, 3.5 uh, billion more. So they eliminate 10 billion of the 14 billion that they used to pay for, for that company. So if capital location is a key, Teladoc is not an investment company. So that's this is not a recommendation, it's my, my opinion. So what I want to do is in the course, we learn students to try to read this kind of difficult, long, not really easy to understand information. So very good. And then sorry, at the end at the end of the course, we learn how to model different business in different sectors, like how to model a meaning or a royalty company or a tech company or a bank or an insurance company. So cool. this is the Over, over, over Overdrive, man. That's, that's, that's awesome. I, I, wish I, spoke, I wish I spoke Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I think I'm going to learn Spanish by watching, by uh, going on the course. Yeah. Um, but but uh, Kim, thank you for giving that full overview. I mean, if, if you know, listen, if you heard, if you like what you heard just now, definitely go and check out the course. Um, I think it's on your, I think you have a premium version. Then also you have some stuff on your YouTube channel as well. Um, Cause I think to summarize kind of our full conversation along with the course to go check that out. But, you know, right now focus on KPIs, you know, yeah, there's There's pessimism un better understand what management teams are having to say about current market conditions and where they're going in the short term and or now medium term. And uh, I think that's, that's, those are two really key, crucial, important things to think about right now when you're evaluating your own portfolio, as well as maybe potentially analyzing new investments. And right. also to, you know, maybe go and subscribe to Geo Investing and check out what they got going on there, you know, because uh, <laughs> some interesting stuff on, going on over there. Uh, but uh, we, yeah, I got you. Yeah, we, should, hey. we, should, we, should, we should do an update a couple of weeks to talk about what's new at Geo and some new things I'm doing. So 100%. Cliff, cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. The cliffhanger there. There's something really awesome I'm working on. So I can't wait to talk, to, take, talk about it for next time. Hey, you know, you're always welcome back on both of you guys, of course. So with that, um, where can everybody go and find more information? Maj, you first, and then Kim, where can people find more? Yeah. So, uh, you know, geobesting.com is our website. You can uh, send me an email, maj at geobesting.com. If you want to learn more about Geo or Quim's course, I can send you some clips and the full video, every, everything we talked about and how, how to subscribe to his course. Uh, on Twitter, uh, Maj, at, at Maj Geoinvesting. You can follow Geoinvesting's Twitter handle. It's at Geoinvesting. Very good. And Kim? Okay. So you're going to reach me in Twitter, like with my name. If the first one is surname, Abril, and then Kim, or for the fan's name, who is Draco Global. Also, you can reach me in YouTube with my YouTube channel, who is in Spanish, is uh, Invertir Como un Profesional. Draco TV. So this is the name of the of the channel. But if you write in Google, you, you can follow really easy. 
And then, what well, is the most common that the social networks that I'm using? Very good. And Kim, real quick, there was two more stocks that you named, uh, <laughs> Facebook and Teladoc. Are you currently shareholder in either of those? Uh, no, not now. I decided to sell the Teladoc before the first quarter reporting, right? Gotcha. All right. Well, with time. <laughs> yeah, so, I think so. Bro, Robert, the yes. idea is so for Teladoc, the, the problem could be goodwill. But for our company, maybe it could be inventories or could be cash or could be prepaid expense or could be an earned revenue. The idea is to, to choose the thing that you go to the in deep in terms of red flags, right? Absolutely. I think that's a great place to end it. Guys, thank you for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to our next update. Thanks, okay. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.